Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Then you stand in worship and you remember who holds the world in his hands. Who is like the Lord. He is strong in battle. Every battle that you face across the campuses, across 12 Stone Home, everything that you're up against, there is one who is mightier, one who is stronger. There is one who loves you more than anybody on the face of this earth. One who poured out his life to give you grace and forgiveness and a second chance. And can I get an amen? A third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. Some of y'all are in triple, quadruple digits. I'm praying for you. Listen, that's the God that we serve. And can I be honest with you? There are, there are seasons of time where I read the headlines and I watch the news and I hear stories, and I got people I'm in friendships with, and I start to, I start to sort of spiral down, and I get to places where I'm like, God, where are you, man? Like, it, it's tough. This world is tough. You know what I have to do? I have to put story after story after story in front of my face, stories of what God has done. And remind me, listen, like David said, like, oh, you downcast spirit. No, come on up. This is who we're serving. This is who we're worshiping. A God who is not distanced, disengaged, or disinterested. He is active and moving among us all the time. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to start off the teaching. We're going to do, it's going to be a little different. We're just going to celebrate. Like sometimes you, you, like you sit inside of the mess long enough, you forget how to celebrate. So what do you do? When you see the God of the universe do something awesome in your presence. Across the campuses, here, let's practice. What do you do when God does something awesome? What does it look like? There you go. So, so we're, we're going to celebrate for the next five minutes. And you're like, that's a lot of celebrating. We could do it for five hours. We're, we're going to just keep it to five. So here's where we're going to start. Here across the campuses, grab a seat. But do not make your disposition passive because we are going to celebrate. And we're going to celebrate with one baptism to start for all the church. And listen, yeah, it's life change, baby. And, and we're going to baptize Ryan. And Ryan is one of many that God's transforming through the power of Jesus. So let's celebrate with Ryan today. Well, hey, church, I'm excited to uh, baptize Ryan, but let me tell you a little bit about this guy's story. Uh, it begins with his uh, praying mom. Tori, there you are. Um, Tori, you've been praying for Ryan for a long time, and you've been praying for this moment for a long time. There's not a dry eye in this section over here. We've already been baptized. Um, but uh, you've been praying for Ryan, and you believe that you wanted Ryan to know Jesus so bad that you signed this guy up to work in the cafe, whether he liked it or not. And so Ryan started working in our cafe a little over a year ago, right? A little over a year ago. And he had a friend encourage him, along with his mom and a couple of other people, but a friend and his mom like, hey, you shouldn't just work in the cafe. You should sit in the church too. And uh, Ryan started sitting in the church and working in the cafe. And you told me, they're like, everything was pointing me to sit in church. And you're like, I don't even know what I believe, but I'm gonna sit in church. And here we are a year later. Because you're right, right? We can celebrate that. So. Ryan is not just sitting, he's not just working in the cafe anymore. He's not just sitting in church. Ryan is now taking a step of faith and telling the world what he believes to be true about Jesus. Amen? 
So, Ryan, I got two questions for you, buddy. First and foremost, do you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? I do. And do you commit to follow him all the days of your life? I do. Well, it's by your confession of faith that I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here across the campus as we celebrate when Jesus rescues and transforms one life. We celebrate with you, bro. God is not disengaged, disinterested. God is active and he's moving, and that's not all. Listen, today at the Snellville campus, we got a resident, Becca, who gets to baptize her own mom today. Listen, in, in 12 Stone Home, we got a dude in Nevada. His name's Michael. He's starting a 12 Stone Home group. This week, he got to baptize his own wife and celebrate baptism. Isn't that incredible? God's moving not just at our campuses, across the globe through what we get to be a part of here. We got nine more baptisms inside of 12 Stone Home today across the campuses collectively. This past week, 757 high schoolers came to back to school bash and there were 58 of them that made a decision for Jesus. What do we do when God does something amazing? Come on. He's active, he's moving, he's present, he's with us. Listen, I have too many stories about what God's doing in student ministry to tell you all of them. Let me just give you four real fast, then we'll celebrate. First, there's five high school dudes this week worked together to get one of their friends to back to school bash. They say, listen, our friend needs Jesus. He shows up on Wednesday. He accepts Christ. It gets better. Then Genesis invites her friend to summer retreat this summer. Her friend accepted Christ. Elizabeth from Snellville showed up to summer retreat, and she was disengaged, and she was disinterested. And then she had an encounter with Jesus, and he turned her life upside down. She's now leading worship. There was a widow at our Buford campus who, after her husband passed, couldn't keep up the yard work anymore. And there was a group of high school boys in a small group together that said, we're going to solve that. Showed up, took care of her whole property. God is moving in the next generation, isn't he? We celebrate what God's doing all across the next generation. Listen, last weekend, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you signed up for a small group for the first time ever saying, listen, I realize I can't do life isolated. I played that game long enough. I need people around me to, to point me towards Jesus. And today, hundreds more will jump into small groups. God is moving. Listen, it's so easy to read the headlines and to look around. And what does our world celebrate? All that's going wrong. And yet there's a kingdom underneath all of this world that is more real than the table I'm holding on to, that is advancing and moving at the hand of a mighty, rescuing, loving God who is active and present here and now. So collectively across the church, one last time, what do we do when God does something amazing among us? We celebrate, don't we? Thank you, Father. And listen, if you're like me, you needed that. <laughs> It's been a long run this last season, and it's just sometimes good to stop and remember. And I remember last spring when we started this series. Y'all remember? Jump in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and we started at Genesis 1-1. Last spring, we made it all the way through Malachi. And now we pick up in the New Testament and the Gospels. We're exploring the life of Jesus and we're walking through the life of Jesus from, from Matthew to Revelation together from now through the end of 2022. And we've given away some 6,000 of these guys. 
I mean, 6,000 families are jumping in in devotions weekly, and we're not just teaching messages, and we're not just trying to have a big Sunday morning gathering. We're trying to see Jesus transform families. See, we're, we, we have a mission before us, and today we continue the mission God set before us. And we started in this conversation last weekend about prayer. Pastor Kevin led us in a conversation about, listen, how do you pray when life is almost impossible? Things are hard to impossible. And God promised, listen, I'll either bring the miracle of healing or the miracle of strength. Praise God. This week, we're taking a different look at prayer, another look. And this time, it's prayer for the everyday life. Like, it's not the prayers when everything's falling apart, when your world's on fire. It's like, how do you just pray? In fact, here's the big question that we're going to attempt to answer together in the time we have. How do I start praying? Isn't that a good question? It's a question that we don't like to admit a lot in church. Like, well, I, I pray. And quietly, you're like, I'm going to take a lot of notes today. Listen, we're in the Bible Belt. We're in the South. Everyone's supposed to have some sort of religious thing that we do. I don't know where your 12-stone home's located. Maybe you're in a different sort of culture. But down here, it's like, we know we're supposed to pray. You're not expecting me to talk about prayer and then go, listen, it doesn't matter. Do what you want. You know what I'm going to say already. Prayer's a good thing. But you have questions like, I honestly, sometimes prayer is complicated. I don't even know where to start in prayer. Is there like magic words I'm supposed to say that somehow activate God's attention for me? Is there a recipe that if I just stir it up right, God will finally be like, finally, you said the right thing. Now, now I'm here. Is there a wrong way to pray? Like, is the, if I, maybe I'm praying and God's mad because I'm doing it wrong. Like, how, how do I start praying? And here's what's awesome. In the Bible, we have a record of Jesus teaching specifically to this question, how do you pray? And who better to learn about prayer from other than Jesus? Like, he's the son of God. He knows what prayer's about, and he teaches us to do it. And here's what's interesting. Before Jesus could start teaching us how to pray, he had to deal with the, the culture of prayer that existed back then. See, there were these religious people that were using prayer as spiritual leverage, Prayer was, a, was almost a weapon to make themselves look better than everybody else. In fact, the Jesus Storybook Bible does a phenomenal job of explaining to us and painting the picture of what the culture of prayer would have looked like back then. Here's what the Jesus Storybook Bible says. We're teaching people about prayer from the Lord's Prayer. In those days, there were some extra super holy people. I love that. There were some extra super holy people. People, at least that's what they thought. <laughs> they were called Pharisees. Every day they would stand out there in the middle of the street and pray out loud in big, extra, super holy voices. They really weren't praying so much as just showing off. They used a lot of special words that were so clever, no one understood what they even meant. People were walking by and they would stop and stare, which might sound rude, except that's exactly what the extra, super holy people wanted. They wanted everybody to say, look at them. They're so holy. God must love those people best. Now, you and I both know they were wrong. God doesn't just love holy people, but the people walking by weren't so sure about it. Perhaps you did have to be really clever or good or important for God to love you. Perhaps you had to know lots of difficult, clever words to speak to God. See, what was happening back then is these extra super holy people were using prayer 
as a tool to leverage their position, their power, their fame, their notoriety. They wanted the monopoly on access to God. And they stand around bloviating. That's a great word, by the way. Bloviating. Just making noise so that they could get attention. And they weren't so much praying as showing off. And they wanted prayer to feel complicated because they didn't want everybody else to be able to do it. It was their thing. They wanted to be the people that everyone looked at and said, you're holy. And they overcomplicated it. And maybe prayer for you is so complicated you don't even know where to begin. Let me, let me put it this way. Have you ever, anyone ever shopped at Ikea? Here across the campuses, 12 Stone, have you ever shopped at Ikea? I bought a couch from there one time. It was super cheap. It was awesome. So I bought this couch, and I, you know how it works? You go to checkout, and then they bring you the box to your car. So I bought a whole couch, and they bring me this box that's like this big. And I said, I ordered the couch. They go, this is the couch. And I'm going, this would fit in the back of a two-door Civic. How can a couch... All right, so I paid like $13 for it, and I, I put it in the, in, the, in the car, and I drove home, and I was like, I still don't know if I have a couch. This looks like an end table. And then I opened the instruction manual, and I understood how they fit a couch in there. Have you ever seen an IKEA instruction manual? <laughs> They're a global company, so they never put words on their instructions. It's just pictures. Listen, you could, have, you could work for NASA, and your couch is going to be like wonky somehow. There's no way. And I get to the instruction manual, and let me tell you, that couch sat in the box with the instruction manual on top of the box for weeks, because every time I walked over to do something with it, it overwhelmed me. I got like a little panic attack, like I'm never going to do it. So I left the couch in the box for forever. Now, I finally did put it together, and I threw it away months later, because it was basically cardboard. But here's the point. Maybe prayer feels like an Ikea instruction manual to you. And every time someone talks about prayer, you know, I should, I should lean into this. I know it's an invitation that God gives me, but it feels so complicated. I don't know where to start. It's like they don't start with the, with the first instruction being easy. Put this here and attach this here. It's like this whole sheet like we just saw. And maybe prayer feels like that to you. And here's the good news. Jesus is saying to us, listen, don't overcomplicate this thing. Just talk to God. Prayer is not a show. You don't have to use big, weird words. Don't make prayer weird. Listen, you don't have to keep babbling on like the religious people did back then. Listen, prayer is not like a term paper in college. There's no minimum word count that your teacher's looking at in heaven going, this is a 2,000 word or more prayer. It didn't count. That's not what prayer is. Jesus is saying, listen, I want to teach you how to pray. And today we look at the Lord's prayer together. And my prayer for you, listen, whether you've walked with Jesus for 50 years or whether you're here and you're a skeptic and you're asking questions, I pray that the spirit of God awakens something fresh and new in all of us for prayer. So I want to read the Lord's prayer to us. And this is the overview. Then we're going to unpack it together. And God's going to hopefully make this very practical and meaningful for us as a church. Here's what Jesus said. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now listen, some of y'all grew up in some sort of 
liturgical churches. And I, as I read that, you shifted back into this religious ritualistic gear where you had to memorize that and regurgitate that, right? And you hear those words and you're like, that just feels so mechanical to me. And yet Jesus didn't say this is what you should pray. He said this is how you should pray. Meaning this, if I could just sum summarize it, the Lord's Prayer is not a religious mantra for us to repeat over and over and over. It's a roadmap to guide us in how to pray. And maybe God's going to just sort of peel back the ritual, the religious sort of lens that you have on this thing, and God might just open up your eyes and see how unbelievable this prayer would have been to the disciples and how God wants to awaken us to it today. And so I'm going to break each of these lines down. And listen, maybe you're not a note person. You're like, I don't do the note thing. Maybe you'll humor me for today. Grab a scrap of paper. Grab something you brought. Maybe you have a prayer journal with you. Listen, I'm going to give you permission. Take your phone out maybe and open up a notes app, not Instagram. Listen, a notes app. Some of y'all are already on it. That got awkward. That got weird. Listen, someplace you can just jot some notes down because my prayer is this. It's Today is not a just learn something intellectually and leave. I pray that God would do for you what he did for the disciples, that he would give you a roadmap. How do you start praying? This is how. So I'm going to break each one down. And even if you just take the two header words down, it might be really helpful in your personal prayer journey. So here's the first one. Relationship and reverence. What's Jesus trying to tell us how to pray like? Relationship and reverence. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, be your name. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus is revealing to us that God in his very nature is relational. He wants to relate to us. Therefore, prayer is primarily a relational pursuit, not a religious one. Listen, if you have a best friend and you go get coffee, you don't show up and start checking boxes. Hey, how's this? Good. How's this? Great. How's work? Great. We did it. Goodbye. And robotically walk away. You're in a conversation, right? If you do that, you don't have many friends. Work on it. It's weird. Listen, prayer is not a, a religious pursuit. It's an invitation to relationship with Almighty God. And God wants to relate to us, not just as a friend, but as our Heavenly Father. Like you... You can't understand the size of what this shift would have been like back then. You just heard the culture of prayer. All these religious dudes dressed in these religious garbs on the street corner, screaming out, showing off all these big religious words, and that was what prayer was. And then Jesus shows up, and it takes him all of two words to blow up everything. Our Father. Do you think that's how those people saw God? This is the first time in all of human history where the God of the universe has been referred to as dad. That's mind-blowing. And you, this is the first time in our journey through the New Testament where you see the seeds being planted as to why these religious people would eventually crucify Jesus. What's he doing? He is offering unprecedented access to God and therefore, the religious people could no longer corner the market. And they're starting to lose power and influence because Jesus said, listen, I didn't show up for the religious people. I showed up for everybody. And prayer is an invitation to the world, not just special, holy, seminary degree people. We relate to God as our Father. 
When you're praying, you're talking to the most perfect dad of all time. But don't miss the second part, relationship and reverence. And it ends with hallowed or holy be your name. Equally, our father in heaven is not just any normal father. He's also the holy God, the creator of all things, king over all things. And so Jesus is saying we get to relate to God as father, but we still worship him as God. What an interesting tension that he keeps in play. You see, back in Jesus' time, they would have got lost in the reverence and forfeited the relationship. All religious, big words, real showy, oh God, most high God, mightiest of all mighty gods on the street corner. They'd have got lost in the reverence and forfeited the relationship. Maybe today we tend to lean the other way where we get lost in the relationship and forfeit the reverence. Listen, God's my bro. He could never be mad at me. We're bros. Like he loves, he, God loves, right? And we miss the reverence side. Listen, which side of that are you at risk in prayer? Are you all reverence and no relationship? Are you all relationship and no reverence? See, through prayer, God wants to both deepen our relationship and elevate our reverence. And the first line of the Lord's prayer is all about relationship and reverence. And you start prayer like you start a letter. You address who you're talking to. And you're talking to both the God of the universe who holds all things in his hand and also your dad who loves you perfectly all the time, knowing full well who you are and what you've done. You can talk to that. Reverence and relationship. And then it moves on. The second piece that Jesus unpacks is this. Matthew 6, 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus invites us as we move through prayer. You're seeing the roadmap God's laying out. The next piece of this is to bow and join. To bow your kingdom and your will and join his kingdom and his will. The challenge in prayer is we all have our own kingdom and our own will, right? I got stuff I'm working on. If you don't, you probably don't have money to pay rent if you're not working on something. If you're a student, you got stuff you're working on. You're working towards a degree. I got a job I have to do. I have to show up to work. I have things I'm building, pressures I'm, I'm carrying. I have my own kingdom's reputation to worry about. And so Jesus stands there and goes, listen, there's a kingdom that you might not be seeing, and I'm inviting you to bow to it and join it. And most people don't know what to do with this section because it feels so disconnected from everyday life. Like, God, what do I do with that tomorrow? Do I not go to work? Like, I, if I don't show up, I'm going to get fired. Like, do I, do I say, listen, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm going to stay home and wait for you to tell me what to do. I, I lay everything down. I'm not going to my job, not going to school. That's, that's not what God's saying. What Jesus is inviting us to is this. Most of the time, God doesn't want to change what you're doing every day. He wants to change how you're doing it. See, when you bow to his kingdom and will and join his kingdom, it changes how you do the things you already do. So when I pray this in the morning, I'm praying, God, your will be done. Your, your kingdom come, your will be done in the way I do everything that I do today. God, the way I treat people, how I handle pressure, how I resolve conflict, how I spend money, how I spend my time, all those things, God, I want the way I build my life to reflect the way you build your kingdom. And it's an opportunity for us to say, God, 
you're first. When we pray, Jesus says, listen, I want you to lay down the things that you're trying to build first and join mine. And listen, you can work and strive and sweat and even succeed in building your kingdom and wake up one day and realize you missed the biggest thing going on this earth, which is the kingdom of God. And God, here's here, listen, God doesn't need you and I to build his kingdom. He can do it without us, but he invites us to join his. So we relate to him as father and God. And then we say, God, I, I bow my kingdom and I join yours. And I say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in the most practical arenas of my life, the way I do marriage, the way I do parenting, the way I do work, the way I do rush hour traffic, God. <laughs> your kingdom come, your will be done, but Lord, would you part the seas like you did in the Old Testament? Listen, bow and join. And we're gonna unpack this at the end. How do we actually pray this way? But I want you to catch what Jesus is saying. The third section of the prayer is this, Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. And that's about depending and provide. I depend on God and he provides. And we finally get to the part of prayer that most of us are familiar with. God, I need stuff. <laughs> this is the most common prayer that there is. God, help. Sometimes all you have time for is two words. God, help. And here's the good news. He hears that. Maybe you grew up in like a super religious, like high churchy place that was very, very um, sort of pharisaical like this. And they say, listen, if you don't put the time in in the morning, God won't hear you the rest of the day. Not so much. God listens to those quick prayers. God, help. In parenting, you know how many times I'm like, Amber's like, let me tell you what happened with, it, with our kid. You're going to talk to him. I got five seconds walking to the room. I got to have something brilliant to say. God, help, God, help, God, help, God, help. All right, sit down, buddy. And I'm hoping to God that he's going to say something for me to say. Parents, don't raise your hands, but we're all in that camp. God, help me. And listen, this is not a prayer for abundance or excess. It's a call to humble dependence on God. And we're all familiar with asking for help and asking for stuff. And here's the good news. God invites us to do that. But I think sometimes we miss just how dependent we are on God to provide. It oftentimes takes a tragedy or a difficult situation to drive us to our needs in prayer. And we realize our dependence. But if we understood every day how dependent we really were, we would pray different. See, in the first century... When Jesus was unpacking this prayer, this would have made a ton of sense. Give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because most of the common people that day, they would literally wake up every morning at zero. They would do a day's work and be paid one day's wages. They'd go home, purchase their food for dinner and the next day, come home, eat it. And the next morning they'd wake up at zero again. So when they pray that prayer, it was literally God Give me enough energy to work today so that I can make the money to get bread to eat tonight and tomorrow, and then I'll pray the same prayer again the next day. Here's the problem with our culture today. It's why this is so challenging. We can mask our utter dependence on God because our paychecks come every other week for some of us. We got quarterly bonuses that are showing up. It's not daily. We got bank accounts that we can save up money that make us feel like I don't need like they needed back then. We got refrigerators that store food. I don't know about you. My wife doesn't go to the grocery store every day. 
If she did, we'd be broke. Like she goes like once a week and she brings back all the bags, puts them in the fridge, puts them in the cupboard, and we eat on that for seven to 10 days. That's our culture now. And part of what's complicated about that culture is it creates a disposition that I don't need daily bread. I sort of have the day handled. I'll pray for monthly bread or yearly bread or decades of bread, but God invites us to the daily prayer of God, I need you to provide. And dependence is a disposition that activates God to move on our behalf. And I don't know how all this works, but I'm certain of this. There are things that God will not do if you do not ask. I don't know where the line is and how that all works, but I believe that Jesus is telling us this is true. There are plenty of things each day that I cannot do but God can do on my behalf. And so when I pray in this lane, God, I depend, you provide. I can, I can be attentive as a dad to each of my kids, but there are things that I cannot help them break through. Oh God, I depend on you to provide for my kids and help them break through. Listen, I can do date night with my wife. I can pour in. I can be a decent husband, but there are things that I can't break through in my marriage. God, I am utterly dependent on you. Listen, there are things that, that I can provide in my finances. I should be smart with my money. I should save things up. I shouldn't be dumb, willy-nilly spending everything. But I can't control the economy. God, I am utterly dependent on you. It's one of the reasons why Amber and I tithe. It's, our, it's a demonstration for us saying, God, I depend on you. You get my first as my provider. Listen, things that I'm praying for God to provide in my health and my physical strength, I can be smart. I know if I woke up this morning and ate a bowl of Lucky Charms, I'd be a mess right now. Like, I can do smart things. So I didn't eat Lucky Charms this morning as much as I wanted to. But at the end of the day, God woke me up this morning and he didn't have to. We, we skip over, we're all one phone call away from our health falling apart. Oh God, would you provide my daily bread and my physical health, Lord? Would you provide places I'm praying in my job and my career. I can, I can work as hard as I want, but there are places that I require God to provide for me. And just because we have savings accounts and refrigerators doesn't change our deep dependence on God. And Jesus is inviting us, listen, don't pray for your weekly bread or your monthly bread or your yearly, yearly bread. If you understood this, you would wake up every day and say, God, I need my daily bread, provide for me in my relationships, my job, in my health. And God invites us to bring our requests before him. God, help. God, provide. And then Jesus continues. We're almost through it. <laughs> the next section, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the words here are repent and release. And this is where God invites us to bring all of our sin, all of our mess, all the things he already knows we did, by the way. But he says in 1 John 1, 9, if we repent, he is faithful to forgive our sins. So I go ask God, God, I repent, will you forgive me? And then God, will you help me forgive the other people that have hurt me? And Jesus is saying those two things are intimately connected. You can't separate those. He's saying they're intimately connected. I go ask God for forgiveness for the stuff I messed up. And then I got, ask God to help me forgive the people who messed up and hurt me. And the problem is, 
You look at people that hurt you and it's like, no, they actually hurt me. Are you asking me to say that what they did to me was okay? Because it's not. You don't know what this person did to me. You don't know what this person did to me. You're expecting me to say that's okay. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm not telling you to say that's okay. I don't think your sin's okay. I just forgive you from it. I'm asking you to release them from what they did to you. Not say it's okay. In fact, here's how scripture says it in Romans 12, verse 9. This is one of those haunting scriptures. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let me say it dark. You're not being asked to say what they did to you is okay. You're being invited to release what they did to you to the vengeance of God. Some of you are like, yeah, get them, God. Here's the good news for them, though. <laughs> Here's the good news for them. Just like God's vengeance would come and get you for your sin if, the, if you didn't bow to Jesus, if they bow to Jesus, they'll be forgiven too. That's the gospel. But here's what you need. You need release from those things. And aren't you tired of carrying the vengeance and wrath and anger at people? It's exhausting. This invitation from God is an invitation to release that and say, God, you are judge over all the world. Vengeance is yours. You judge as you see fit. But Jesus was saying, once you taste the grace and forgiveness God gives you, it should then pour out of you grace and forgiveness for the people around you. And listen, practically speaking, I keep two lists before God. And the order really matters. I list the last day's sins, the place where my anger got the best, the place where I said something I shouldn't have said, the place where I had stuff in here that no one knew about, but God did and I did. I list it out and say, God, would you forgive me for these things? I repent of these things. Then I write the second list. Oh, and God, this guy, this guy, my wife said, what my kids said, I write it down. And here's what's, here's what's complicated. This list is always longer than this one. If you're honest, the stuff you messed up is almost always longer, and it's so much easier to forgive by releasing them when you write your list first. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's the point. Listen, you need time daily with God to reconnect you to his grace. I know what I'm slipping in my time with God when I get hard-hearted against people. Because it's impossible to stand in the presence of God and feel the grace and forgiveness he's poured on you and then hold people to a different standard. It's real hard to do that. So that's what Jesus invites us to. Then lastly, here's the last piece. Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Guide and protect. God, would you guide my steps today and would you protect me? Here's all we're saying. God, I need you to guide me in my day. I'm, I'm going to leave this house. I have stuff to accomplish. God, would you guide me in places where I'm not going to be tempted or tried or tested but if I am, would you protect me and help me to avoid the temptation to say no to the things that I know my, my, my human cravings want? And in the Greek, the word for evil there is actually the masculine personal version of that word, meaning it's talking about Satan, your enemy, the one who is out to get you and I. And Jesus is saying, listen, every morning you should pray, God, 
Don't lead me to temptation, but if you do, protect me from the evil one. And scripture tells us in the book of James chapter one, God never tempts you. But the easiest way to see this is this. We just learned two weeks ago that the Holy Spirit led Jesus to be tempted into the desert, but Satan did the tempting. Jesus passed the test, but Satan did the tempting. And there's times where we go through testing seasons and we're saying, God, here's the prayer. God, I don't want to go down that path. So if it's, if it's possible, keep me from it. But if I do, help me to be strong and conquer my temptations. God, would you guide my steps? I know I'm so prone to wander. God, I know that if, I, if I'm in this situation, it's going to be so hard to say no to temptation. So God, guide my steps and protect me from the evil one. And I'm going to unpack this greater in just a minute. We're going to experience this together. So I, I got to stop. I want space for the end. Here's, here's what I hope you've experienced. Listen, the Lord's prayer is not a religious mantra for us to repeat over and over and over again. It is a roadmap to guide us. And the way Jesus invites us to pray is not like the Ikea instruction manual. And you're like, I'm trying to get it right. I got to say all the right words. God's saying, listen, just talk to me like I'm your dad. I love you. Put my kingdom first and trust me, you will have the best life this earth has to offer. And listen, you can ask what you need. I provide. So tell me what you need, son. Tell me what you need, daughter. And listen, I will forgive you, but your heart, your soul, you want to forgive them. You don't want to carry around that poison. And lastly, if you ask, I'll guide you and I'll protect you. Listen, this is not rocket science. It's an invitation to relationship with Almighty God. The question we're trying to answer is, how do I start praying? Might be the best way to explain it. A couple weeks ago, our campus pastors, we did like a two-day retreat where we sort of got off-site, rented a little house off to the side, and we just got away from the pressures and the problems of daily life and just pulled away for two days. And what we're doing there is we're, we're praying together. We're planning for what God has for us in this next season as a church. We're talking about you. We're trying to figure out better ways to serve you, and you're going to hear about some of those, better ways to serve people who aren't even here yet. In fact, we spent a ton of time on what's coming on September 18th and 25th. There's a word you're going to start to hear all over the place. The word's daymaker. You're going to begin to hear this word everywhere and see it everywhere. And you're going to be like, I think I know what that means, but there's got to be more to it. And there is. I'm going to unpack this word on September 18th and 25th. Mark your calendar. These are going to be vital weeks for the future of our church, September 18th, 25th. Spent a bunch of time unpacking how that's going to play into the life of this church. And listen, I said this to Dan Vanderwall, our executive pastor. We have, in my opinion, and I've seen a lot of churches, the best group of campus pastors of any church in the United States. Incredible men of God that serve our church. So blessed. So what's the point of me telling you this? Here, I want to move to this. So maybe you didn't know this, but we have our Brazelton campus pastor is Pastor Matt Lewis. He's a great pastor. But if I had to judge, is he a better pastor, a better chef? It just depends on the day. He is unbelievable. So he went to the store the first time we were there. He's like, I'm going to cook for y'all. And when I say those words, it's usually some sort of frozen thing in the microwave real quick. Like that's what it means when I say I'm going to cook for you. My palate is that of a seven-year-old. His is quite 
quite elaborate. And so he, <clears throat> he went and bought a bunch of these steaks. When I say steaks, I mean like thick, big old steaks. And he got polenta. I don't even know what that is, but it tasted awesome. And he cooked polenta. And he, and he, he hand-baked the bread, like made it from scratch. He even made the Caesar dressing for the salad from scratch. It was unbelievable. You're, you're saying, why do you tell me this story? To make you, I'm making you jealous. You want to be a campus pastor, don't you? It's good days. It's the reason I'm a little bit thick. We eat like that. It's good. More importantly, when he was in the kitchen cooking, he's like, here, come take a taste of this. And he had this red sauce. The word reduction was in it. I don't even know what that means. If you're a cook, you probably do. Some sort of red sauce reduction. He's like, he let me take a little taste of it. And I was like, whoa. He said, you've got to tell me how you make that. And he spent about three or four minutes trying to explain the ingredients and the temperatures and how you bring it to this and then back down to this. And I, like, it took about three minutes for me to go, I'm going to stop you. I'm just, I'll be on the receiving end. You be on the cooking end of this from here, here on out. Here's the point. I could have spent 30 minutes with him explaining that recipe. And if I went home and stood in front of my stove and turned it on and had the ingredients, I would have no clue how to cook. I would know everything about cooking, and yet I would have no ability to do this. If you want to learn to cook, you've got to spend time with someone in the kitchen while they're cooking. Listen, learning to cook and learning to pray is very similar. If you want to learn, you have to spend time with someone in the kitchen. And I could talk for 20 more minutes about prayer, and I could list more things and facts and details and theology and big words and the reality of the high priest that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and how he does this and all that, and I don't think it would be as helpful as us spending some time together in the kitchen. And we don't do this often on weekends because it's really complicated. So I'm going to invite Kim, sorry, I'm going to invite Ansley and Richard to come out for a minute, and they're going to help us in this next few minutes. And my prayer is that I stop talking about prayer and we actually pray together. See, the Spirit of God is as near as your breath. He is as relational and loving as the most perfect Father you've ever known. He invites us to do this. There's a difference between someone inviting you to come over for dinner and you showing up on time and you showing up at a stranger's house and pounding down the door. We're not trying to pound down the door of heaven. God said, no, the door's open. I want you to know me. I want to know what sits in your mind, what you need provision for, what you carry in pressure. I want you to know me, and I want you to know that I know you. So listen, if you want to learn how to start praying, maybe this week you're going to pick one of those sections of the five and do one a day for five days. Great. Maybe you'll sit and do all five every day. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know this. Today, we don't have time to experience all five. So I'm going to pray through the first one. I'm just going to say the next three, and we're going to pray through the last one. And my hope is that you will, prayer will be something you caught easier than taught. I want you to experience just a bit of what it feels like to pray to the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Maybe you have a notebook or the phone app you have open and maybe you'll just jot things down because I write all the time during prayer. Because God will mess with me on something. I got to jot it down. God will bring a name to mind. I'll jot it down. God will prompt something where I'm drifting in sin and God, I'll just write that down. Be attentive. So I'm going to do my best to turn the room. 
it's really hard because you're used to I talk, you listen. And this is a presentational environment. And from here forward, can we just, can, I, can you let me take that off and just be like a son? Because I want to talk to my dad too. And what I hope is, as I talk to God, God helps you see ways you get to talk to him. And so here across the campus is 12 Stone Home. If you're in 12 Stone Home, you're super blessed because usually you have more space to move around. But from here on out, this is participatory, not presentational. And maybe you want to stand, you want to sit, you want to kneel. If you're at a campus that has some space, grab a back corner and kneel. I don't care what you do. We're done with the presentation of service and now we're participating in prayer. So you're freed up with me and I want to guide and get out of the way. Guide, get out of the way. Anzi will lead and get out of the way. Lead and get out of the way. So we start in prayer with relationship and reverence. God, hallowed be your name. God, there's no one like you. Just tell him something you know about him that's true of his character, his love, his grace, his mercy. Just you to God. Write it down if you want to. If you don't want to whisper it under your breath, tell him something. God, you are great. You are mighty. You are loving. You are slow to anger, rich in love. Maybe you open up a psalm and you just want to read through it in this section and just be reminded of who God is. Oftentimes I sit inside of worship music in this part of prayer and ask God to stir my heart, my, my heart's affection for him. Remind me of who you are, God. Ansley, just sing that over us and allow this to take us vertical. God, there's no one like you. You are holy. You are set apart. Holy, holy, holy. God invites us to lay down our religiosity, our pretense, the words we think we're supposed to say. We get to be vulnerable with God. Get real in your relationship with God. Maybe you, you, you lean that way. You just lean reverence and not relationship. And God might just whisper right now, I want you to know me, son, daughter. So maybe you've gotten casual with this holiness. You have to set aside your casual, lazy, passive attitude before God. So I'm going to give 30 seconds of space for you to pray and you to talk to your Heavenly Father. And you know which side you need to, to clean up. If you need to clean up relationship, focus on the parts of his nature that are this. His nearness, his love, his grace, his mercy. Remind yourself he is Father. He is your shepherd. He knows you. He loves you. He knows the hairs on your head. Sit in that. Maybe you've drifted in your reverence for him and you need to sit in his holiness, his power, his protection, his sovereignty. Listen, it matters that I do this, but it matters more that you do. Just sit inside of this space. 
call your soul to attention before Almighty God. Stir your heart's affection before God. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to speak. Tell him you have permission to speak to me, Holy Spirit. Now give him glory and praise. He is worthy of it. Take 30 seconds and you talk to your dad, your God. Relationship and reverence. You are holy and you are dad. Sit in that. admit there are times when it's like I have to command my soul I don't want to do it right now you're like I didn't show up here to have this moment I show up to go to church punch out and get out of here and go get lunch I want to caution you invitation from almighty God right now maybe you need to command your soul and you're going to sort of sing this over us and this might be your prayer to God call yourself up God I want to worship you I want to see you clearly Sometimes it's an act of the will to start praying. You think, well, it should just be easy. It should flow easily. Sometimes it does. Other times, like anything worth doing, going to the gym is not always easy and fun. It commands, my will has to be commanded. And maybe that's the place you're in right now. Don't miss this moment and lean back out of it. Ansley, would you sing that over us? Maybe this is your prayer to God. God, you are worthy of our praise. There's no amount of words we could say. God, I love you. 
grateful for you. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love. I don't move past this section until my heart's aligned right. I see the reverence of a king and the love of a father. Sometimes it takes 30 seconds and a minute. Sometimes it takes the majority of my time in prayer to align my heart there that God, I see the reverence deserved for a king, the love of a father. It's from that place that I pray. And I move to your kingdom come, your will be done. I get to bow and join. And this is where God invites us to lay down our kingdoms. God, you get my first allegiance. See, once I see you right, it's easy to lay my stuff down and say, you first, God. God, help me to live this day out with your kingdom's disposition. And I go to the next, give us this day our daily bread. And it's easier to lay down and say, God, I need your provision here with my pressure, my problems, the things that make me panic, the places I need provisions, God. And I list them out before God. I keep a list. God, here's the things I need you to provide for, please. And I ask freely because it's my dad. And I ask expectantly because he's also king of the universe. Then I keep a list of the places that you have provided, God. You've already moved on my behalf, and I have gratitude. And God, I move to repent and release, to forgive us our debts, and I list out before you, God, places where I caved to temptation, self-inflicted wounds of my anger, the words that I say, the appetites I've given into, and I keep a list of all my stuff, and then, God, I lay before you the names of people that I want to release from my vengeance, from my anger. Maybe this week, God will give you some space, and you'll just actually do that exercise before Almighty God. And then I move to guide and protect, Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. I'm gonna ask you to do something that's gonna feel really silly. I want you to pray like I pray every most mornings of the day. I want you to take out your calendar for tomorrow if you have it. If you're a phone person, you have your calendar, great. If not, just sort of start to arrange it in your mind. You know where you have to be tomorrow morning. And I literally, I pray through my day, through the calendar, and I ask God, would you guide and protect? I want to pray before I get there. I want to ask God to help before I get to the situations that I'm going to be stepping into. I give God space and time to speak into my day. God, if there's wisdom or insight on things that I'm not going to see unless I ask you as I walk through my day. God, help me to pre-decide I'm not going to cave to this temptation. God, I know the times of the day where I'm most susceptible to this sin or this sin. And God, I want to pre-decide before I get there. God, protect me from my foolishness. Protect my mouth and the words that I'm going to say. God, help me to see things I won't see in this meeting or that meeting. God, help me to see things in people I'd never see myself that you just whisper, hey, they need to be encouraged today. They need to be challenged today. They, they're going through something. As I pray through my day, I'm going to give you little bits of space for you to do the same. Students, you might pray through your classes tomorrow, your lunch break, your hobbies, your sports, the after school things. If, if you work, you know your day, you're going to walk through your schedule but as I walk through my day, you walk through yours, and I think you'll get it. So take your mind's eye, if you will, to tomorrow morning. Whatever you do first thing in the morning, maybe it's going to the gym, maybe it's making breakfast for the kids, trying to get them on the bus. Get yourself there and begin to ask God to guide and protect. You know the things you're tempted for there. I'll pray mine. God, give me patience in the morning with my kids. 
When the kids rush in and wake you up first thing in the morning, God, I know my disposition is to be harsh and like, be quiet, get out of here, let's go. God, give me, give me patience with them. Maybe you need to ask God for discipline, Lord. You know you go to the gym in the morning and you know you're not gonna want to. God, give me the discipline I need. Would you guide my steps first thing in the morning? Take your mind there. Ask him for what you need off the top of the day. Then go to your first thing you have, breakfast meeting, meeting at the office, your first class of the day. Get your mind there. Begin to ask God to guide you in that meeting. God, give me insight to see things in that meeting that I would have never seen. God, give me strength to be a blessing to other people who are going through stuff in that meeting. Give me wisdom, insight, discernment. Let's just get super real. Guys, there might be some lady in that meeting that you're tempted to look at two, three, four, five times, and that's where your mind goes. God, protect my mind from that. I predecide right there, God. Lead me not to that temptation. Deliver me from evil. I take your mind to your lunch hour. Maybe you have a lunch meeting with somebody, a potential client, maybe it's someone at the office, maybe it's in the cafeteria at school, maybe it's by yourself at home and you got a little breath. Take your mind there, begin to ask God, God, would you guide my steps in that meeting? Would you go before me, God, give me favor. Maybe it's a sales meeting, it's a big deal tomorrow and you have to close something. Oh God, give me favor in that meeting. Go before me, give me favor with the person I'm sitting across from. I pray for my afternoon meetings. I walk through that and you can do that. And then I, I literally pray for my drive home. God, I pray that you help me to downshift internally on my drive home. From the speed of work that I have to carry all day long, by the time I get home, God, would my, would my soul be downshifted to the speed where I can love my wife and my kids? Pray for your drive home if that's what you got. Pray for your bus ride home. Pray that God would go before you and guide you and protect you from showing up at home and just steamrolling your wife and kids, your husband and kids, your roommates, your friends, because you're just moving at such a fast speed, you're gonna miss it. God, go before me, protect me from that. But I don't want, to, I don't want my kids to turn 20 and look back and say, Dad was always on for work. I want them to know me, know my heart, know my love. I want them to see me smile and laugh. God, would you protect me from driving home tomorrow night and just steamrolling the kids because I had so much pressure during the day. God, get my drive home. May that be like a sanctuary. And God, would you just take it to the end of the night? Whatever you do last, board game with the family, a show on Netflix with your wife, your girlfriend, your friend. God, would you give me joy there? Would that be just fun, love, and enjoyment? Help me not to miss those things, God. See, God invites us to bring our day before him and ask him to guide, protect. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would plant seeds of a desire to pray, to be in your presence, Lord, in this church. May men and women leave and say, God, I want more of your presence. Would you help them see the invitation you've given us, Lord, that we get to bring the most practical places of our life before you. And although it's not explicitly recorded in Scripture, most traditions end the Lord's Prayer with what's called the doxology. And let's all read this together. It's just a, a statement of worship and praise to God. Let's read this together here across the campuses. For yours is the kingdom and the power 
the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Ansley, would you sing that and steal that over us? And that's how we're going to turn the service over to our pastors. And so worship well as we close this time of prayer. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.